It's Friday, November 5th, and you're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you the delicious tech news and all the hot takes you can handle with Tyler Gates, Russ Cantwell, and Aaron Bewley. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Tyler Gates is actually out hunting right now. And by the way, that actually means physically in the world hunting, not playing a video game, as I learned earlier today. Uh, and then Aaron Bewley uh, is off, I think, uh, getting some food. Hanging out, you know, we're making it work. So today we have Daniel Platt, Mr. Platinum, our senior field VR correspondent. How are you, sir? It's XR. Well, XR, VR, <laughs> AR. All of the Mr. realities. Platinum yeah, I'm reality. I'm good. Always happy to be back on hanging out with my uh, with my tech breakfast homies. That's right. That's right. It feels like we're we're pretty belated in, in what we want to talk about today, just uh, trying to get you on, obviously talking about the uh, Facebook slash meta news, which we will hit on more a little bit later. Uh, but we wanted to make sure we got it out and, and, and got it out there. Some of our thoughts and opinions, I'm sure that Aaron and, and Tyler will want to share some of theirs as well whenever they come back on, an, on a future episode. But for now, we have to start with this day in tech history. And this is a very special one, very close to my heart. And that is that on November 5th, I'm not going to state the year, Google introduces the Android platform four years after it began development in 2003. The mobile operating system for cell phones based on a modified version of the Linux operating system. Not true. Linux kernel. GNU is the operating system, but it was a good try this day in tech history. Uh, The first Android-based phone would actually ship... In September of 2008, Daniel, what year was this? Not trick. Hold hold on, you, you there are a lot of dates out there. What what year did, did Android get introduced to the world? I have given this answer in here. Is it 2007? Because you said three years or four years after 2003. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it is 2007. So 2003 is whenever Andy Rubin started working on Android and formed his team and started building it. Uh, the fun story there, it's not. this is not in this day in tech history, but I do know it, uh, is that Android was actually going to be much more similar to BlackBerry. That was its original sort of design was sort of going to be meant for more productivity related things within the business world, compete against BlackBerry at the time. And then Mr. Steve Jobs released the iPhone. I want to say it was 2007 timeframe, maybe something like that. Yeah, that um, was 2007. And they saw the, the entire concept of moving away from keyboard, very touchscreen focused and just a, a little bit more focused on the everyday consumer. And they said, you know what? I think that we should adjust to do something more like that. So they they shifted from the BlackBerry as their competitor to sort of the iPhone, Apple iOS as their primary competitor. And that was kind of the driving force behind it. So that's why you see introduced in 2007 and then a year later, a very different sort of design in 2008, whenever I want to say maybe it was the HTC One or something. I don't know. I can't remember the first Android phone, but it was something like that. Something one, something one or one something was released. So anyways, it was terrible, by the way. It was not a good operating system when it released. I think my first iteration of it was in 2009. And even then it was pretty rough, but it was fun to play with nonetheless. 
So it was the HTC. That's the good news. It was the was HTC it? Dream, also known as the T-Mobile G1. G1. There you go. That's right. So the funny thing about Android phones is they had the, the different manufacturers would create very similar versions of the same type of phone released for different uh, carriers at the time. So like, I remember that uh, our shared friend, Ralph Layton, he had one for, I think it was Sprint at the time, <clears throat> that was sort of this fold-out, had a keyboard screen Android phone. He had one of those released in 2000, I think it was eight. And then in 2009, the release of the Droid, like the original Motorola Droid, which was the real big release for Android, which was the first one I had, was actually the same phone, but released for Verizon. So that was kind of the interesting, I guess, approach that they took. It was maybe a little bit more carrier-centric at the time. And so that was kind of the idea for Android at the time. It has uh, changed dramatically in the last however many years, I guess it is, um, 14 at this point. It's 2021, right? That math checks out. Uh, I guess 17 if you... Or I guess 18 if you count the original release in 2003 or a creation in 2003. But anyways, we're going to move on from this day in tech history. Uh, I want to do a couple different bits and pieces of the news before we just start talking more about the the overarching topic of the day. Daniel, you have anything you want to share at the beginning? Well, I mean, I was just looking, perusing through the the interwebs for tech news. And this is one that I thought was really interesting and appropriate for the Tech Breakfast crew because we do talk about hacking and ransomware and all of that uh, pretty often. And I just saw that the US government is offering a $10 million bounty for uh, dark side ransomware hackers or up to 5 million for information that leads to the arrest or conviction of anyone conspiring to participate in or attempting to participate in a dark side variant ransomware incident. Well, you know, it's, it's funny you say this, because I think, obviously, we're seeing, we've seen a lot of incidents recently with ransomware. We've even seen, I guess you could almost call it white hat hacking until it was sold for professional gain by NSO Group, um, finding the exploits that were in, like, um, Android had a few. Uh, I think they're the ones who did the, the iPhone iMessage zero-click exploit. And um, I, th I saw that the U.S. government listed the NSO group, which is a company. This is a this is not a sh in, hiding in the shadows business. This is a company that sells this. They listed them as basically a cyber terrorist group and that that the things that they do are not okay for sale, at least from the US perspective. Now, obviously, it's not a US-based company, but that's not, not something I think that they're probably overly pleased with because no, not many government entities are probably going to want to work with them knowing that the US does not see them in a favorable light. Uh, so <laughs> it's uh, they're clearly cracking down on this stuff, man, which is good. I you know I don't know that the hackers will care all that much. <laughs> I mean, I think they're still just going to keep doing it personally. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I think an interesting thing with this one is you know dark side is, is the the group that did the colonial pipeline thing, right? Which uh, I think it was a kind of just a a game for them. I don't think they actually intended on causing harm on that correct but then because of the attack we shut down the pipelines for however much time it was which ended up right costing the the economy billions of dollars right so 
if there's anything we've learned on this show, it's that going and doing something just to see if it could be done without telling anyone about it ahead of time and planning anything is viewed as bad. Another example of this would have been, it was the University of Minnesota who had a group of students and I think, I mean, even professors, just a, a, a research team that was trying to show whether or not you could get a Linux kernel exploit through the Linux kernel development process. And they achieved that goal. And now they are no longer allowed to work within the Linux kernel because instead of going through the process to explain the exploit and provide that information, they actually put it into the kernel and it got, you know, reproduced. Now, granted, we understand they're, they're obviously showing that there are issues within the process that need to be corrected. Something that even Linus would tell you absolutely is true. But you don't go about putting the exploit in and then saying, hey, look what I did, guys. Like, this doesn't look good. It's like, go go talk about it a little bit, you know, and see what can see what can possibly be done here. So that's, uh, I don't know. doesn't seem like people like to be exploited, even if you, your intent isn't to be nefarious in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. Definitely not ideal. Um, let's see. I wanted to, there was a, speaking, we were talking about, uh, release of Android, and then the iPhone's influence on the release of Android. iPhone 13 obviously has came out recently, along with a bunch of other phones. iFixit is a uh, you know a place where people take their phones to fix broken screens and replace batteries and stuff like that. Yeah, fix your own devices. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, iPhone 13 apparently, after you get your screen repaired, at least via third party, which I don't know how many people actually do this with iPhones. Maybe it's it's high, but I know that Apple has their own repair process you go to Apple stores for. But nonetheless, if you go to iFixit, the iPhone 13 will disable Face ID after you get your screen repaired, which is a pretty big deal considering there's no other biometric way for doing, you know, unlocking apps or the phone itself. So, you know, be it that not none of the you know, biometrics aren't the best, most secure form of doing things. They are the most convenient. And I think we all pretty much use them. Don't get your screen repaired at iFixit because your face ID will not work anymore. Yeah. So. I, I wonder if part of that is, is just planned, you know, Apple just saying, we really want you to repair your devices with us because there's money in it. I mean, I've, I've actually replaced quite a few of my own iPhone screens over the years. And I know some of the earlier ones that still used our beloved Touch ID. Yep. Um, the Touch ID module, you know, in, in the home button, was paired with the uh, with like the main chip on on that uh, on that phone, and so that piece was not interchangeable at all. If you wanted to replace that, you had to basically replace the the, the main chip on the phone too, because those two were yeah. paired together. So to see Apple move just to say, hey, we're gonna bring in that this biometric piece into the screen um, makes that you know, almost impossible unless you want to not have yeah. face ID, which is a huge pain in the butt. And, and I think everyone would agree that <clears throat> I'm not one to apologize for any business practices in general from any company because I just, I don't think any of them are here to be our friends. I actually think there's an element here that if this is not to defend Apple, this is just what I thought of when you said that. I think there's an element here of security related to tampering with Face ID that maybe someone could do for, under some very specific circumstance. I'm just making a guess. I don't actually know. I just, to me, it feels to me like because of 
the face ID specifics that it goes through to be able to make it a relatively secure version of doing face biometrics, which is not a very secure way of doing things in general. I mean, they've all been tricked in some way, shape or form in the past. Apple's made a pretty good one that is difficult to fool. Yeah. They probably are trying to prevent someone from tampering with the ability for them to provide that security level. That's just yeah. my guess. Um, but, I you mean, know, no, no one fault Apple for ever trying to make money because they most certainly yeah. will try and do it better than anyone else out there. Um, yeah, that's, I, that's I mean, definitely the case. Yeah, my counter to that is, you know, could could they do all of that within the camera module, which could be separate from the screen? Absolutely. Does, does it know. need to be it's, in the screen? I, here's the question. Here's the question for you. Have you repaired an iPhone screen with a notch? I have not. Uh, I have I have an iPhone XR. I am not a annual uh iphone upgrader <laughs> so and i have not had Heathen. to fix my my screen on this one yet so, so knock on wood first but the reason why yeah. i say that is is i think i was very surprised to learn through the the new macs that release the the macbook pros they have the notch i was very surprised to learn that there's clearly a functioning screen behind the notch that was not something that I ever assumed was the case. I sort of assumed that the notch was not overladen. I assumed that it the screen was molded around it. That is that's clearly not what happens on the MacBook. I have no idea if that's what happens on the the screen for the iPhones. Is it molded yeah. around or is it underneath it? You know what it's I mean? It's probably cheaper just to put it underneath it and to put something on top. You're probably right. So, in, and I never thought about it until people started showing the mouse going back and forth or whatever, and you know the menus kind of spanning across with words going across. So I'm wondering if, you know, that's the case with the iPhone. Maybe it affects that sensor differently because it is underneath. It's just once again, pure yeah. speculation. It's a guess. Maybe someone here knows. Um, but that's that's my thought process. Well, um, speaking speaking of the iPhone. I'm going to bring up one of uh, one of the things you actually shared in the TBP community on Telegram, which you, if you are not involved with, you should get on board. That's right. But are you, Russ, interested in a USB-C iPhone? <laughs> uh, well, I think we would all agree the answer is most certainly yes. I, I absolutely am interested in all USB-C driven products. I, I would prefer to start willing to spend. <laughs> I am willing to spend on a new iPhone the retail cost <laughs> of the iPhone at the time that has USB-C, as long as that same cost is similar to what we've seen lately. Let's just say sub $1,500 for maybe the one of the upper-end models. Do I come close? Well, boy, do I have a deal for you. <laughs> if, if you have $85,000, there's an eBay bidding war going on for a USB-C iPhone. It's just incredible. I just, <laughs> I, and what he's referring to, so I shared this in the TVP community yeah. chat and I said, you know, Apple surely must see some value around this now if they can sell phones for $85,000 a pop just to have a superior way of charging and doing data transfer. Just saying. Uh, it's, it's just absolutely incredible that someone's doing, I mean, it's just this wasn't even made by Apple. <laughs> Some kid did this in his, you know, garage, and people clearly the person who's buying this isn't for any functional purposes. It's for historical purposes. But does this really count as the first USB-C iPhone if it wasn't made by Apple? I don't know. I just 
it's amazing to me. I mean, good for this this person who who made this. You know, good for them making eighty five grand or whatever it is, minus their parts and labor. But I just I can't believe that someone is willing to buy that. I wish I could. I wish we could get that person on the show <laughs> to explain why this was worth eighty five thousand dollars to them. Are you the owner of an eighty five thousand dollar USB C iPhone? Come talk to us. Please come talk to us. Uh, we'll subsidize your phone a little bit. I'll tell you what. I'll give you like fifty bucks. Just come on the show, and uh, and let's just let's just talk about your you know at that point eighty four thousand nine hundred and fifty dollar phone. That would be something that I would like to see. Um, anyways, okay. I just we got to move on from eighty five thousand dollar iPhones. We have a hard stop in the next twenty twenty five minutes. Should, should we jump onto the big stuff? And I think we need to jump onto the big stuff, which is uh, which is going to be Facebook. Here, here's the overarching topic, and I mean I'm going to let you kick it off, but I want to state that this isn't just going to be about the name change. It's going to be about Facebook. It's going to be about Meta, and it's going to be about ad tracking transparency, um, ATT 14.5 update and, and newer from Apple, and their effects on this. And, and why everyone rejoicing is wrong. And so <laughs> that's what we're going to do, um, is we're going to talk about those things as much as we can in the next 20, 25 minutes. So Daniel, I'm going to turn it over to you to start with right. whatever you want to start with related to this topic. Yeah. Uh, here's, the, here's the quick rundown. Uh, Facebook slash Oculus slash Meta does an annual developer conference for uh, for VR XR developers. You know, in the early days it was called Oculus Connect. Um, last year it was called Facebook Connect. Uh, if you look at the logos for this year for the event we just had, Facebook was not on the branding for it at all. So a lot of people speculated that this was the the move away from from Facebook, quote unquote. Uh, and sure enough, that uh, that was the case. Um, Mark Zuckerberg and other Facebook executives spent 80 minutes, uh, is what the internet tells me, explaining many words, images, and videos showing what the metaverse now is, uh, why it's their future. Uh, they basically turned it into an investor call saying this is our future direction. Uh, you need to be sold on this to be with us. Uh, and they changed the... Uh, the overall name of Facebook to um, to Meta, and as I understand it, that Meta is actually kind of breaking things up into two major groups. So let me see if I can find this in my notes. Yeah, I, I know There's, one of them is Facebook Reality Labs. I don't even know what the second one is. Right? Am I on target well, there? Yeah, you're pretty pretty on target. So first is the family of apps that. Uh, Meta now owns in the social space, which is Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, etc. And the other group is all things XR, which is the Reality Labs group, which is not I don't I don't think they're called Facebook Reality Labs anymore. They're just called Reality Labs or okay. maybe Meta Reality Labs. Uh, and, and then so all of the corresponding they're breaking hardware. those they're breaking those out for financial reporting purposes, Correct. right? Correct. Yes. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's a good good point. That I don't know that if, if I caught that earlier. But that is that is an important distinction because you you have to think of Facebook's strategy here. And I got to say, Mark, bravo. Here's me clapping. If you guys can hear that, the 
one, you know, Snap, <laughs> Snap had to report their earnings first. Poor guys. Like, one, they were not prepared. And they, they will illustrate my primary point that I will ultimately like to make in this particular scenario. They had to go first. That's bad luck. It's not ideal. Facebook benefited from Snap going first in, in reporting earnings. But it's also a way for him to immediately... By, by the way, Snap, I think, was down 25% within the day of reporting their earnings. And I, for sure. I think Facebook was down maybe 5%. And they are now up, just FYI. So they, they took the approach of, okay... We typically focus on our revenues, obviously, earnings call. That's what we do. We do this around ads specifically. That is our business. We are now going to explain where we're going in the future with undeniable and unbelievable focus that can only happen in a founder-led business. A founder-led business with which Meta is the only one left in all of the big tech companies. There's only one founder-led business that still ran and they, they can still make a pivot and a change with maniacal focus, and it is them. And that is very, very important to understand when you think that hurting their revenues was a good thing. Because now they are going to be so unbelievably focused on driving new change to their revenue, which for them means more influence that you've just created a monster who not only wants to just be an app, but they want to be a platform. I'm going to add this one to you as well. Snap, smaller platform, wasn't able to, to sort of weather these changes as well from the ad tracking transparency. So here's the important thing to understand. Ad tracking transparency from Apple absolutely made a huge impact on Facebook's business, 100%. There's no way to, to move away from that. They Their revenues... Most certainly, I think for the first time, we're down quarter over quarter. But you do need to understand that they were still up 17% from the prior quarter or the quarter in the prior year. So it's not that they missed their numbers. It's that they didn't grow as fast. That's point number one. Obviously, that's huge in a public company. Growth is everything. They didn't grow as, fa they didn't grow as fast. It's not that they didn't grow. They just didn't grow at 35 or 40%. They grew at 17% from the prior year, which is usually the metric that you want to really measure something against. So that's really important to understand. And two is this. The changes that have been trying to go on for years in online advertising are going to be accelerated now. Like We've been trying to deprecate cookies. Google has tried to deprecate cookies for six years. And no one wants to let them do it. Because what they want to do is introduce something called Flock, which is very sim similar to the cohorts that Apple uses for advertising IDs, which is basically a whole group of people that sort of have similar things that they tend to be doing. They draw correlations around that people and they sell the ads for a group of people as opposed to an individual person. The idea there is that it's more private because you're one amongst many as opposed to an individual user. And it's true. It probably is more private. The issue here is, is no one wanted to let Google do that because the only way you can do that is if you already have significant network ownership. If you have a massive amount of computing power and information and AI capabilities to be able to draw those correlations. There are two companies in the world that can do this at a scale that scares everyone else. I would say three, but no one cares if Apple does it. Genuinely, they could, they could do the same things Facebook does. No one would care. Google and Facebook, however, 
this is an advantage for them. So anyone else you ever hoped to come in and draw the line and, and compete against Google and Facebook, you've just killed the ability for them to do that. The only people that will be able to do that are other platform owners, which the platform owners at this point are Google and Facebook. I'm sorry, Google and Apple own the platforms. Apple will adopt to advertising measures on those platforms because they have the power to do so. And then now they are going to spend $10 billion or more every year working to create the new platform for people to be on. So that's what you get whenever you poke the bear. I'm not saying it shouldn't have happened, and I'm not saying it's not good. I think ad tracking transparency is good. I think Google probably needs to respond to it. But if you think it's going to kill Facebook, you're wrong. It's probably going to make them stronger. And it's really, really important to understand that the founder-led aspect of the business is going to drive this with a maniacal focus that is well beyond anything driven by Wall Street. Because <laughs> Mark is going to do this because he wants to and he thinks it's the right thing to do. Very different approach. So watch this space because it's coming. It's coming. All right. My rant's over. That's my thing. Yeah. I wanted to say yeah. about that focus here. Yep. I mean, the, the, the short version of what you just said is Facebook uh, had to play by Apple's and Google's rules. And now they're a platform owner in XR. And now they don't have to. Yep. <laughs> Pretty much. You're welcome, um, Earth. What? What? <laughs> That's what? Aaron coming live from the car with the family. I just joined. What'd you say? He just joined. Facebook doesn't have to play by whose rules? Anyone's. Yeah, they they, they make their own rules now. I got my father-in-law in the car too, and he said anyone's rules. <laughs> <laughs> what rules? What rules? No rules. No rules. Whenever you're the platform owner, you get to create the rules. Remember, everything's first-party data in the platform world. Just ask Apple about it. They're That's benefiting right. by the billions. Um, so I I know we don't have much longer. Um, I mean to you know to briefly talk about the metaverse, Facebook's big uh, big push forward on that is they want to be the single company that owns a metaverse that uh, every developer platform goes to and and uses their. You know, they're, they're metaverse with, uh, and this is a, a word I really did not like from the uh, from the announcement, their own digital governance, um, which mm. is, is a very mm. interesting choice of words. Um, like isn't yeah. the idea of a single company owning the metaverse kind of awkward? Well, uh, something interesting from that, I guess before I jump into the consumer stuff is, you know, Russell, you're probably aware of who John Carmack is. That's my boy. He, he's your boy. Uh, if yeah. you don't know who he is, he's the create one of the creators of ID Software, did Doom, Quake. Uh, and he came pretty early on with Oculus. And when Oculus got purchased by Facebook, uh, kind of joined Facebook as a, as a CTO and has since kind of stepped back, but is still a quote unquote consulting CEO. Uh, for Meta. So he he does an annual talk uh, every year at Connect as well. And one of the interesting things uh, about his talk is he, he basically said I I'm not a uh, I'm not a big fan of of a single entity owned metaverse. He says I like the idea of the metaverse, but should it be controlled by a single entity? Probably not. Um, so good good on him for being able to 
Do they have any plans to operate with anyone or to create an open environment like what uh, Jack is talking about with um, Blue Sky in, uh, from, from his commitments from Twitter and their developers? Or is Facebook? Uh, I mean, are they saying anything like that? Like it's going to be a cooperative thing or, or no? They're, they're spending a lot of time and there's a lot of details that are not very clear um, as to how this is going to roll out. But they're trying to spend as much time as they can to make it a, a platform that they that they dominate. You know, uh, it's it's interesting to me is it almost feels to me like more of like the next evolution of the internet and the way yeah, we interact well, with the internet. And I feel like there's a there's an element of like any market, there's probably multiple big players, usually a top two or three, top two, two really big ones, and the third is kind of an ankle biter, but bigger than everyone else. The same thing in public cloud, AWS, you know. Azure, those two top two, Google's kind of that ankle biter, right? The, I think that market will probably happen in the metaverse as well, because it happens in every market that ever exists ever. But the idea of like the metaverse being owned by a company, I feel is odd. I think maybe having a major stake in the ecosystem that is the metaverse, absolutely yep. Facebook will be one. But I think, I think Apple, if they choose to, has a really good chance of being able to play in that space. They can make the same investments Facebook can, more, arguably. And then it's all about who else wants to do it. I don't even know if Google has mentioned well, any idea of wanting to be in that space. So, so one of the interesting Microsoft? ones, uh, yeah, that's I was about to bring up Microsoft. Uh, so they actually came go. out a few days ago, and they're, they're introducing Microsoft Mesh, um, which one of the early things for that is an ability to join uh, Teams meetings with VR avatars. That's kind of old news. news. I feel like some other companies I know have been able to do that. Daniel, do you know of any companies that can do that? I happen to know of one amazing company, Vspatial, that has done that for a long time. But that's that's (laughs) I actually just updated Vspatial on my uh, on my Quest Two yesterday. There you go. Very good. Um, But but one of the the head people at Microsoft that was talking about Mesh said they really see the future of it not being a quote unquote metaverse, but a multiverse, uh, which is not a single company controlled metaverse, but rather something that follows how the internet, as you were saying, uh, connects everything together today, uh, which I'm personally a bigger fan of and believer of, but it'll be interesting to to kind of stay. Uh, yep. I like multiverse better than metaverse. I don't think there's any way that we don't end up in a multiverse, as it were. I just, even if it was called the metaverse, which it could be, probably will be, I I believe the functional behavior of what we end up in will be multi, just out of necessity. I just don't think, I just don't think there's any way. I mean, Facebook doesn't have a good enough brand, I think, for, you know, a lot of people to want to jump in on that. And so that'll well, be enough to, to have a new market. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think but, anyone's, but yes, yeah, so your, your point is still valid. Yeah. Um, do, do we want to just do a, a data dump on it? All other things that are not huge from this, uh, from this event. There's a, well, sure. Yeah. Did you see the Nike um, patent filings? They filed three patents around being able to sell their uh, their gear, their clothing um, in the multiverse, metaverse world? They did? As NFTs? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be NFT-like 
maybe. Yeah, I don't know. But, I, I, I did not see that one. Well, as, as people are creating these uh, avatars in these digital worlds, uh, they want to be able to sell them uh, Nike branded gear uh, for their digital versions of themselves. That's the plan. Awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess to to jump through through the list really quick on just all of the other things they announced besides the really big announcement of the metaverse and their uh, huge path forward to to go down that route. Uh, some of the other things they said is some of the content coming to Quest soon is GTA San Andreas. So if you're a fan of the Grand Theft Auto franchise, that will be a really fun one to play on Quest. Um, probably questionable you know, as well. There's, I was going to say, there's some questionable activities that take place <laughs> in those games, and I have a feeling that uh, yeah. people may, I'm not going to say it out loud, I'm just saying that there's some stuff, you know, parents, yeah. you know, watch your yeah. kids in VR, just saying, just make sure yep. everything's kosher. Yep. Uh, Beat Saber made over $100 million in revenue what in the Quest about? store alone, which, that's pretty freaking awesome, good for them. Um... All three of us gave them money. Uh, uh, yep. Every album except for things by Billie Eilish. So I'm pretty much the same. Uh, Vertigo, who's the company that did uh, Arizona Sunshine, has a partnership with Facebook now to do five new games. Um, so that will be a really fun one to watch. Meta purchased Within, which is the company that does Supernatural, which is one of the most popular fitness yep. apps uh, on, on the Quest. So that one was a pretty interesting one. You know, you know, it's. I want to. I want to comment on that. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I use Supernatural, uh, not as often as I should. Um, it is great. It's phenomenal. It it kills me every time I use it. You know, people were complaining about them getting bought out because Meta bought them, correct? Facebook or I don't know who bought them at the time, but they were acquired by a larger entity, and. There was, you know, rumors, I guess, that they were growing faster than Peloton, at least at a percentage rate, which I can guarantee you is because their numbers are lower. I can <laughs> guarantee that. Uh, people were, com you know, complaining that Facebook's buying up all these people and that there's there should be antitrust to this. I, I don't know that the the financial model exists for most of these companies to really be making a lot of money. I feel like Facebook is saving platforms, obviously, to, for their own benefit as well that are probably going to wither away at some point. I, I Every time I turn on Supernatural, I had worried, I wonder how long I'll be able to use this because I don't know that enough people are going to pay for this in a way that can sustain its growth. And now that Facebook has it or Meta, whatever one refer to them as a, at the top level, I don't worry about that anymore. Just like with VR and the Quest headset, same thing. There's a benefit to that side of it is, you know, regardless of your opinions of, of Meta. Yeah. There's a benefit there that we get. Yeah, I, I think one of the other interesting things was the top player too. They they yeah. were the most or have been the most successful when it comes to that uh, subscription, uh, you know, workout VR uh, service thing. So yep, as they should be because they're the best. Yep. A, a, another interesting point that I just wanted to bring up that is relevant to this is you know one of the things that came up pretty consistently with Connect and particularly some of the things that John Carmack said is. They're really trying to focus on, you know, how can these XR devices be something that people use daily? So it's not just 
it's not just like a gaming console that you put on your head anymore, but they want it to be something similar to the smartphone, which is a device that replaced a lot of uh, a lot of other things that you use. So, you know, when we when we switched to smartphones, we got a GPS, we got a point and shoot camera. You know, we we got a full browser that we were able to carry around in our pockets, all of that. So uh, that's some of the big things that Meta is now hoping to build with this new ecosystem is trying to find ways that XR can be a more daily use device instead of just a pull it out every once in a while and and play a Beat Saber or, or whatever. And, you know, that that's certainly something that myself and my company have been focusing on with trying to replace the need for, you know, physical computers in front of you by, by connecting to VMs or whatever. Um, but that, that'll continue to be a focus of, of Meta and, and them to turn these into more devices. And I think this play towards buying Supernatural is, is a way to, uh, to continue down that route by getting, uh, you know, I'm sure they'll be able to help grow that, that franchise even more now that they're owned by Facebook. And uh, and hopefully get more and more people in XR for more and more things uh, all, all the time. Yeah, I, so Daniel, you know, question to you, and yep. I'll share mine as well. But I want to hear it from you, someone who lives this every day. In your opinion, is Meta and Facebook's involvement in all of this good or bad? Um, I mean, no one is spending near the amount of money on anything XR as, as meta is. Um, and, you know, things would not be accelerating as fast as they are without them. I mean, no one else has a headset that's anywhere close to the quest in regards to the price point and, and the package of what you get for, you know, 300 bucks. So uh, is it good that they're involved in it? Yeah, I mean it's it's helping create a new ecosystem. You know, that's it's created a a new uh, a, a new market for developers to play in, which is something I'm personally uh, in, involved in. Um, my I mean my my flip side opinion on this is are are they my favorite company to be leading the charge on this? No. <laughs> and, and no, they're not. They're no one's favorite company. I mean, they need to be pressured as much as they are pressured. But I do struggle with the way that people approach their opinions of companies as all good or all bad. When almost every company is somewhere in the middle there, and you need to keep a perspective that is healthy of both sides of any of those. I just, it's amazing. And and, and almost every company has its detractors and its supporters. And then, you know, they're probably both more vocal than the majority of people who are much more neutral on the situation. But those loud opinions do tend to drive sentiment. And I think it's ridiculous when you ignore the good things that companies do because of the bad things that they do. I think that both are important and you need to pressure them. You need to call out the bad things, but you can't dismiss what's good just because of the bad. And you can't ignore the bad just because of what's good. So that's my perspective on it. I think, you know, overall their involvement here is good. And I think it's, you know, I would, I would argue to go as far as to say it's important because I think that this, I think that the, the elements that people don't realize, and this gets really deep and we'd have to spend a lot more time here, but the Facebooks and the Googles and the Apples and the Microsofts of the world that, you know, operate within the US and then obviously they, they extend to the greater population around the world. They also affect 
sort of civilization's growth as well. And I, I'm gonna I'm not gonna go into too much depth here, but we struggle with a lot of things technologically, at least growth right now, against some people who might call them adversaries in China. And our government does not have the capability to keep up. They need to use private industry to be able to help it. So whenever Google goes to support a government project, I really hope that the people working there won't all quit because it's very important that the leader in AI research helps us with that. If the government needs help creating augmented reality stuff in general to help us within the broader ecosystem of the world, if Facebook's a part of it, I hope that people will be understanding of the fact that they're a leader in this space and they can help. And these are things that are just the technological development in the private sector in the US is very, very important to the overall country's health long-term. And I don't think people realize that. So we need to be able to be critical, but also see the good things and understand when we need to make compromises here. So anyways, that's my thought. On, <laughs> there you on go. That. That, that, that's true on most things of life. 100%. Um, 100%. I mean, I, I know we're just about out of time. A couple other just super quick things. Um, no new headset will be, uh, you know, they didn't announce a headset that's, you know, going to be re be released next week or whatever. They did announce uh, Project Cambria, which is a headset that they're hoping will ship next year. Um, some of the quick things on that is it will have pass-through AR, inside-out tracked controllers, so controllers that can kind of be behind you or whatever, so the headset doesn't have to see them anymore. Yeah, it's going to be more comfortable. Yeah. Do so you think um, the controllers track themselves? Correct. I like so that. When, when when you play Beat Saber and uh, you miss some notes because your headset can't see the controllers very well, I don't ever miss. There notes. you go. What are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> uh, it's supposed to be more comfortable. There will be face and eye tracking, and then the other big thing is it will have pancake optics. Um, so if you've ever seen, you know, the Quest headset, it protrudes pretty far from your face. It's pretty noticeable when someone's wearing it. Uh, it's like a big rectangle on above your eyes. Uh, the pancake optics are supposed to make that a lot, a lot smaller form factor to where it will be a lot smaller. So, you know, if you look at the HTC Vive Flow, is that the headset that just came out that I talked about like two weeks ago? Yeah, uh, sounds right. I, yeah, I think it's going to have a similar profile uh, on that as what those pancake lenses will do. So. It's an exciting thing. Um, it's not going to be anywhere near the same price point as a Quest 2, so don't expect it to be cheap. It's a headset targeted towards the quote-unquote prosumers. So we'll see uh, what that headset is all about. Uh, hopefully, we get more about it next year. Uh, the other big thing, and this hopefully will apply to some of the people here, is Oculus for Business is now uh, end of lifing. So Oculus had a Quest 2 uh, enterprise headset that they sold. That was an $800 headset plus an annual fee. They're now shifting all of those towards uh, to now be consumer headsets with an option to have basically a work profile on those headsets. And there's still a lot of uh, uncertainty and some missing clarity on that. But it sounds like the Quest headsets will soon be able to have basically multiple profiles and uh, whether that's for you, know, you as... Uh, you know, just the the consumer versus you as a as a pro work profile. I'm not sure there's a lot to come from that, but uh, it'll. I actually, be I think it's smart. Um, you know, my you know, I I don't. Whenever I had an iPhone, um, 
it was it was specifically for work, so I didn't have multiple profiles on it. But my my Android phone, you know, I use now. It's my only phone. I use for work. I use per, for personal. And there are two separate profiles. You don't log yeah. into them. There's just profile of apps that are work. Profile of apps is personal. They cannot see each other. They can't talk to each other. You can't copy and paste things. They don't. It's like they don't even know each other exists. But they're both accessible yeah. on the device at the same time. I think that would make a lot of sense in a device for BYOD in a corporate environment. And, you know, I think, I think it's based on Android, the operating system they use. I could be wrong. Yep. Yeah. So is. they could probably implement that relatively easily in that same space. And it, it makes it more flexible and easier to consume. So I, I don't know, you know, first thoughts, rudimentary, not understanding everything seems good to me. Um, but nonetheless, we are going to have to kill it um, because I got to go to another meeting. Kill the episode. Minutes. Is there anything else? Anything else you got before we sign off? Man, I th- I think that about covers it. Um, we that was that's a lot of stuff in uh, in less than an hour. So hopefully everyone digests this well. All right, I'm back home. Can y'all do just a, like a quick recap of the last hour? I'm just kidding. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I will make one shout out: is that Buley is wearing the virtually speaking podcast shirt. Um, that we received from our friends over at the Virtually Speaking Podcast probably, gosh, man, it's probably, what, four years ago now? Yeah. Maybe five? Years. I don't know. It's a long time um, that, that we got those, but those are some hot shirts. That's right. Yeah, That's right. In fact, I think they had a new episode today, so go check it out. Yep, but <clears throat> that's going to do it for another episode of the Tech Breakfast Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining Platinum as well. Thanks, Aaron, for jumping in even while you were on on the road and uh, you know, please like share, tell your friends about it, tweet it out. And until next time, we'll talk to you later. Peace.